0: Romans chapter 5, if you'll go ahead and turn there, we're continuing the series, uh, Royal Invitation. And um, what's interesting about this series is definitely watching Paul develop the thoughts as he continues to talk about our salvation and what it all entails. And in the verses we're going to be looking at this week and next week, it seems that he has turned the attention uh, over to what are the benefits uh, of our faith? What are the benefits of the grace that we have through the faith that we have? And, and, and what's interesting about that is I did a little research, and do you realize that there are almost 20 million websites that refer to benefits? Shareholder benefits, employment benefits, veteran benefits, government benefits, death benefits, social security benefits. Medical benefits, AARP, for those of you in the room, um, they've offered me the card. I keep resisting, trust me. Tax benefits, everyone seems to be looking for privileges and benefits. How many of you say, yeah, benefits are pretty good. I, I like benefits. Well, it's interesting that Paul is now transitioning the thoughts from where he was about salvation over to the benefits of the salvation itself. So if you look at verse 1 of chapter 5, the word therefore, we know what that all means, but it really indicates a transition in which Paul is tying the things mentioned in the previous chapters to a new series of thoughts that are coming in the, in the chapters after that. So look at the introduction there in the outline. After Paul explains how we are saved, he then focuses on the results and benefits of our faith. Now, when it comes to our faith, it should be noted that there is a difference between our standing and our status. Our standing in Christ, which we'll see in chapter 5, is perfect, unchanging, and guaranteed by the Word of God, the promises of God, the work of Christ, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look more about this in just a moment. But the whole idea of standing, that's what Christ has done on our behalf. And then our status in Christ, which you will address in chapter 6, 7, and 8, is imperfect, changing, and dependent on us. So when you look at our faith, when you look at salvation, we see that so much of it, most all of it, rests on on Christ's provision, what he offers us, what is there for us. But then on the other side of it, there's a part of our salvation, a part of our faith that is dependent upon us. Now let me ask you this. The part that depends upon us, how many of you are aware that that part is imperfect? Yeah. But the part that depends on him is what is perfect. So when you think about our salvation, there is a perfection associated with it. Everything that Christ has done for us. And then there is is imperfection, which we bring to the table. Now here's what is interesting about the verses we're going to be looking at. If you were to look at verses 1 through 11, we're going to be looking at these over the next three weeks. The key pronoun in the passage is we. It's talking about the benefits of grace through the faith that we have in God. And he's going to introduce that. So over and over again, you see this pronoun, we, we. And then other key words in these verses are peace, access, grace, hope, love, and then the word saved. Those are all good words. Now, as Paul writes these words in chapter 5, it is obvious that he is excited about what he's writing it's like he's finally gotten over the part uh, that he, he addressed earlier, uh, which he wasn't too excited about, to the part that he is excited about. And, of course, if you go back and look at chapters 1, 2, and 3, what was he trying to prove? He was trying to prove that we were sinners. He talked about those who lived rebelliously and how they were sinners and those who, who tried to live a righteous life and how they were even sinners and, and, of course, the religious and how they were sinners. But then he gets to the part where the good news is. But Christ has done these things. Therefore, it's like he's now turned his attention on bragging on Jesus. So why is Paul so excited? What are the benefits of our faith? Look on your outline. First of all, God lifts us. He lifts us. Now, now we're going to look at that today. Now, here's what you need to keep in mind. Next week, we're going to look at God loves us. If you look on your outline, you're going to have God lifts us and God loves us. Now, we're not going to get to the second part of the outline today. Some of you, we're going to spend a lot of time on that top part, and you're going to be relieved that we don't have to sit here and go through the next part. Okay, But we'll cover that next week. That's part two. So the first thing I want you to see is this. God lifts us, and the first thing that we see is our standing in Him, our standing. Now think of this, as I said before. Our standing in Christ is perfect, unchanging, and guaranteed by the Word of God, the work of Christ, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now that brings about with our standing, look at your outline, acceptance by Him through faith. We're accepted because of our standing in Him. Now let me tell you about our standing in Him. It has nothing to do with your attempts and being righteous. Has nothing to do with you trying to be a good person. Has nothing to do with that. This is the part of your salvation that God himself provided for us. And the only way we have that uh, parent in our lives or a benefactor in our lives is through us receiving that provision. And so that's something that he provides. Now here's what's interesting about it. You are accepted once you come to him by faith. There's an acceptance associated here. So look at Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 1. He says, therefore, okay, in light of all these things back here, I'm going to transition the thought. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, now let me tell you about this this phrase, we have. It means certainty, and it also means non-conditional, okay? It's not conditional, okay? We have peace with God. So once our faith is enacted, once we place our faith in Him, we receive the grace. But as a result of receiving the grace, we, we, there's something that happens in us. We have, there's a certainty associated with it. It's, it's, it's not conditional. We have peace with God. Now think about this. What's the opposite of peace with God? It means literally being an enemy of God. And so we move, and Paul's going to talk about this in Romans chapter 8. We move from being an enemy of God to having peace with God. Now, how many of you think life would be a lot easier if we were not an enemy of God, but we had peace with God, that we live with God in peace? (laughs) Definitely would be a lot easier. And so that's what he's offering. That's what he's bringing to the table. So therefore, our faith has brought about this whole idea of justification that's what we saw in Romans chapter 4 and he showed us how David received this justification how Abraham received this justification just like the old testament people new testament people where we're living today we receive it the same way it's given to us it's a de- it's a declaration that we are righteous before God. All that's provided by Jesus Christ. So there's a certainty associated with, associated with it. And it's non-conditional. So we are, have peace with God. No longer enemy. How does it come about? Look on your, Look at verse 1. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who guarantees this? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed by Him. So we have perfect peace, peace with God, which is really peace of mind also. This peace is not based on our performance, but it is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to something I want to spend a little more time on. Our standing in Him not only grants us acceptance by Him through faith, but also, look on your outline, access to Him through faith. There's access to Him. So look at chapter 5, look at verse 2. It says, through whom, now the whom is referring to verse 1, that's the Lord Jesus, okay? Through Jesus, also, we have access by faith. He's saying that you not only have acceptance by Him, but now you have access. Access, and that's a big deal. We have access, how do we have it? By faith. Now, let me just say this concerning... The relationship between God and man up to this point. Before Jesus Christ came, this thought was unheard of. It was unheard of. How did you have access with God before? Through a priest, there was a mediator. There was someone who was there to mediate the terms of the the relationship. There was someone who was there to mediate uh, whether God would accept you or not and all that. And so all of a sudden, that's been removed. Now it says, we have access. It was unthinkable up to this point. How did that happen? We have access by faith. Look at this. Into this grace. Now, think of this. It's not our faith... But his grace, here's what this means. It means faith enacted us into this acceptance and this access. But grace kept this available. Now think about this. You have no faith if grace is not inviting you in. (laughs) You you have no faith. Your faith, it, it doesn't mean anything. But grace reached out. And as a result, guess what? Uh, we have that grace. We're kept by this grace. Here's how we know this. Look, on, look at verse 2 again. In which we stand. It literally means it, this, what's being offered to us is immovable. It's a sphere. Listen to this. It's a sphere of constant acceptability and access. Because we are perfected by Christ. Now, I know that's deep. <laughs> But that's, a, that's what verses 1 and 2 are talking about. It's that whole idea that, that we, this part of the salvation where you have the, the acceptance and the access, it was all provided by him. It was all provided by him. These are the benefits of the grace that we've received. Okay, How did we receive it? By our own faith. But this is what he has. It's perfected. Now, he's going to develop this thought completely in Romans chapter 8. We're working our way there. Okay? But then it says this in which we stand, this grace in which we stand and rejoice, that means we can celebrate in hope, that means it's guaranteed, it's not wishful thinking, it's guaranteed by Christ of the glory of God. Now let's back up a little bit. This word access is one of the most important words in Scripture. It is composed of two Greek words one means to bring, another means forward. And so it literally means to bring one forward, okay? Think about what God's grace provided us. It provided us the ability to have access to Him. It literally is a whole idea that this grace brings us forward into the acceptance and access of God. That's us. That's what we're capable of having. So in this context, access means that one person brings two people together. Who did that? The Lord Jesus Christ says it was guaranteed by Him. It came by Him. It came through Him. Now, it was a word, listen, used in history which referred to having an audience before a king. it's, It's a whole idea of really proper protocol between someone who is lowly, considered, someone who is considered lowly, and someone who is considered majestically. That's not a word. <laughs> In their majesty, okay? And, and so you have this. So it was, the whole idea to them would be the Romans coming before the emperor. What, what would a protocol look like? What, 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 what would shape that meeting? Well, here's what Jesus has done for us. He's created that meeting for us, us to come into the presence of God himself. I mean, think about that. That's a big deal. It's the whole idea of the Old Testament before God. Hebrews 4 tells us clearly what this means. Look here on the screen. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, this is what Jesus is, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Now here's what you need to understand about our salvation. Our salvation is perfected by Jesus. How was it perfected by Jesus? Because he lived the sinless life. He was perfection. Okay? So, what he's offering is perfection. Now, we in and of ourselves, we're not perfect. He was tempted in every way that we are. We came out imperfect. He came out of the solution perfected. Okay? What he is offering is his perfection. Okay? To our imperfection. So he's literally saying, I'm going to take those who are imperfect and I'm going to make them perfect through what I did. And that's what he's offering. Because listen, God cannot, you cannot have access, you cannot have acceptance to God except by way of perfection. And so therefore, I'm going to provide for them my perfection. Okay? That's That's what seals the deal. So we're granted that. This is the benefit of our faith, this grace that we have. It goes on. It says, let us, now that all that's in play, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That means everything that we need is found at this throne of grace and mercy. And the only way we can even get there. Is by way of Jesus Christ. He guaranteed it. He brought it about because of His perfection. He made us who is imperfect perfected. That we may have access and that we may have acceptance. Okay? So one of the benefits of being a believer is having peace with God. And we have peace with God. And as a result, we have access with God. Now let's, let's, let's change this up a little bit. Look on your outline. So we see our standing in Him, acceptance by Him through faith, access to Him through faith. Now we see our sanctification. And it's literally the idea of our status in Him. Okay? Our standing, here's what you need to understand, never changes. It's something that God God through Jesus brings to us. And therefore, we receive it by faith. That's how we stand before Him. Righteous, pure, holy. Let me ask you a question. Does that describe you? <laughs> It does from his point of view, but sometimes we don't live up to that, do we? That's where our status comes in. That's where this whole different idea comes about. So, so our sanctification, our status in him, and look on your outline. First of all, I want you to see faith displayed by us. In the context of this sanctification, in the context of our status, how, how do we, how do we uh, demonstrate the fact that we have faith? Well, he tells us a little bit about that. Look at verse 3. He says, not only that, not only do you have a standing with God that is perfected, that is righteous. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. (laughs) What's another word for tribulations? Problems, suffering. We have the potential to glory in those things. To find celebration in those things. Now, think of this, y'all. As a believer, we know that no matter what happens, no matter how many problems and trials we go through, we know what the ultimate outcome is going to be because of the promises of God. There are certain things that we face in this life that God will see us through. And the things that we won't he'll, he'll see us through here in this life, He'll see us through to the next life. We have that guarantee. Now, now let me just say this about all that. How many of you have ever... Um, recorded a sporting event. Uh, I'll I'll give you an example. This is something I do. Uh, Sometimes the games come on too late on Saturday night, okay? And to be honest with you, I I need to try to um, (laughs) be at my best on Sunday mornings, okay? So I start shutting things down around 9.30, Okay. Well, some of these games go in 11, 11.30, sometimes midnight. I think the World Series, Game 7, went to 1 o'clock in the morning or something like that. You ask, how do I know that? Because I did stay up and watch that because it wasn't on Saturday night. But anyway, (laughs) so sometimes what I'll do is I'll record the game. Okay, I'll record the game. And and many times, I'll be honest with you, it seems like every year it falls this way. For some reason, in college basketball, the Duke Carolina game always comes on, the second game, at 9 o'clock on a Saturday night. I hate schedule makers, I hate ESPN. I hate all those people who are responsible for that, okay? Now I'm, now understand you, you, this is important. you'll You'll get the point here in just a minute. Now here's what happens. I will record the game. And then sometimes I'll send Gary ahead to tell some of you who like to ask me questions about it. I'll say, Gary, how about tell I'm recording the game? I don't Because I can tell by your response who won and who didn't win. And so, anyway, so I come in here, I'm like, oh, again, I'm not only am I trying to be stay focused on what guys called me to do, please don't anybody tell me about am in the game. Well, invariably, guess what? It always happens. Hey, did you see that game last night? Man, that was a good game, wasn't it? Well, if I know you're a Carolina fan, I know how the game turned out. <laughs> Boy, that was a tough one. Who do you think won there? But you know what's interesting about that? Sometimes I'll know. I'll know, and, and I know it's my team wins. I like it when that happens, you know. And I'll go ahead and watch the game anyway. And you know what happens when I watch that game? Sometimes I watch the first half, and I see that the Tar Heels, maybe they had 13 turnovers, and I'm sitting there, and they're 10 points behind, and it looks hopeless. But you know what I know in the back of my mind? That they did win. But there are those moments during that game in which I'm sitting there thinking, Wow. I know how this is going to end, but this is tough to watch. This is tough to be a part of. Now, some of you who hate sports, who think it's up to the devil, I understand your frustration with this illustration, but it's the best one I could come up with to describe this. Let me tell you a little bit about life. We know who wins, don't we? We know who wins. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes in light of the fact we know who wins, sometimes we still have to watch it, don't we? Sometimes we still have to live it. And as a result, it looks hopeless. I mean, sometimes we're 20 points down. I mean, turnovers everywhere. I mean, it looks like there's no way this is going to turn into a victory. But you know something? It can and it will if all this is based and guaranteed, listen, through Jesus Christ. So not only do we have our standing in Him. You see, our standing is what guarantees the outcome. But our status, how life plays out, how we encounter our tribulations, our sufferings, and all the problems that we deal with, how they come about can create other things in us in which we lose sight of the fact of our standing and the promises that come at the end. And so, therefore, we find ourselves where our faith takes its toll many times. Now, think about this faith looks ahead in the midst of the trial, it looks ahead. So look on your outline. We have our sanctification, our status in Him. Our faith is established in Him, but what is our current status? Where do we find ourselves? Is our faith being developed or is it being hindered? And so look on your outline again. I want you to see faith developed in us. When you think about it, suffering, listen, you won't see this any other way but scripturally. If you think about it, suffering is a great benefit to our faith. How many of you know that from experience? It can be. But boy, it's sure not fun going through it, is it? But it can be. It can be a great benefit to our faith. For those of faith, listen, problems, suffering takes on purpose. This is an exciting principle that is a characteristic of a mark of maturity. You are mature, listen, when you understand the purpose of suffering and respond accordingly. Therefore, we, that's when you can say we rejoice in suffering. So look at verse 3 again. He says, not only that, but we also glory. You know what that, you know, you know in the context this is written, you know what that could mean? We see great potential in tribulations, in suffering. We are rejoicing about it. Because there is a purpose behind it. We are rejoicing about the benefits that God can bring out of our suffering. We're not rejoicing for the suffering, but for the possible results that can be produced if we respond correctly. So think of this. God has a purpose behind even the little irritations and the little problems in life. Now think about this. The creator of the universe created you. Did he have purpose behind why he created you? Of course. But then all of a sudden, that person that he created all of a sudden becomes a believer in Christ. All of a sudden comes to salvation by, by, and accepts what Christ has. And all of a sudden, do you think the stakes are a little higher? Do you think God really has a purpose for your life at that point? Big time. Big time. So even the little irritations in life... God can use. I use this all the time. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Can God use it? He can use it. He can. I don't see how, but he can. How about this? A pushy salesman. Lousy weather while on vacation. Waitress gets your order wrong. Waiting in line while other people jump in line. How many of you, that really grates you a lot? I mean, and you're one of the, here's, here's what we, well, that ain't right. That's injustice. God's called us to approach injustice. (laughs) Can God use it? He can use it. Here's what you need to understand about your life now. He wants you, listen, to think the way Christ thinks, act the way Christ acts, respond the way Christ responds, love the way Christ loves, to have the characteristics of Christ in your life. What are those characteristics? Here's a simple answer, just a very simple answer, the fruit of the Spirit. When it describes those nine things, do you know who it's really describing? Jesus Christ. You you know why? Because we know that He was and is love, joy, and peace. He he is and and was patient, gentle, and good. He was and is meek and self-controlled. So how does God produce those characteristics in your life? Look at verse 3 again. Look at the second part. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And then verse five. Now hope does not disappoint. Now before we go into this process, I want, you to, I want you to understand verse five, the first part. When it says now hope, you know what, you know what, you know what the context is here? That there's potential in this process. Okay? That's what we're talking about here. I'm going to tell you a little bit later in this service, listen, that it's really confident expectation. That's what hope is, okay? But here it is. In this context, now hope, there's potential in the process. Does not disappoint. You know what that means? It gets the results desired. That's what it means. So think about what you're going through right now. Going through a very difficult time in your life. For some of you, maybe it's a simple irritation. For some of you, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than you are. You can't even get your mind around what you're going through. Let me just tell you God has purpose behind it all. We don't understand it, but He does. So so let me show you how some of this can play out. Look at, the Bible tells us, look here. So look on your outline. The progression of maturing faith. First of all, there is the tribulations. And I'm calling that faith encounters suffering. Faith encounters suffering. The test of maturing faith, listen, is how well you see the benefits of suffering and how well you respond to those sufferings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look here on the screen. Paul says this, Therefore, we, we who have our standing in Christ, we who are living on the promises that are guaranteed by Christ, we who have this salvation, listen, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Let's don't get discouraged. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Think about that. He says our light affliction. Some of you are sitting here today and you're like, there is nothing light with what I'm going through. How could you even call it that? Well, from God's perspective, can you call it that? Oh, yeah. Because there's so much more out there than what we're seeing right here. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's not going to last forever, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. What is that a description of? That's a description of faith. It's a description of faith. It's, It's a description of hope that is found in Christ. It's guaranteed by Christ. And so, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen, how many of you are thankful for this, are temporary. The things that we see as tribulations, irritations, troubles, suffering, extreme affliction, temporary. Temporary. But it goes on. But the things which are not seen, the things of those, those things of faith, they are eternal. That means this. There is a greater purpose going on within you that, that is not easily seen. There's something greater behind the scenes. But you know what we do t- so many times? What do we do? We focus on the suffering, we focus on the problem. We focus on the affliction, and every time we turn around, every decision that we make, every perspective that we have, everything is filtered through that issue that's in our lives instead of the faith issue that God wants to bring to the table in and through that. There's a greater purpose. So, what does that leave us with? Tribulations produce perseverance. So look on your outline. Perseverance, what is it? It's faith that is patient and enduring. James 1 says this. Look here on the screen. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Now, brothers would be who? Christians, those who are believers also. When you face trials of many kinds. There's all kinds of things out there that can produce affliction in us. Count it joy. Count it a privilege to go through it. How many of you are going through something right now and it's like, I just praise God for this. What a privilege it is to go through this. That's hard to get to, isn't it? But that's exactly what he's saying here. Because you know, this is where it is. Because you know, this is the key, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's a greater cause than that affliction. There's right there in front, there's something behind it. There's, some, there's a greater cause. Now let me say this: The Bible has a lot to say about endurance. The marks of great faith is how well you, is not how well you start, but how well you' finished. There are, great, there are many great starters in life. What counts are those who make it for the long haul. those who are steadfast, those who are faithful, they dig in for duration and outlast everyone else. Listen to this: you cannot learn to endure if you don't have anything to endure. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Perseverance then produces character. Character, look on your outline, is faith proven and tested. Now, believe it or not, character, the whole idea of it is a rare term in the New Testament. Paul is the only one who uses it, and he uses it seven times in Scripture. It's always used in the context of proven character. It is a word used to describe metals that have been put through the fire, that have been tested to be purified. Now think about your life in that context. How many of you have ever been put in the fire before? Been there? Might not be there now. But have you been there? Yeah, you've been there. What's the purpose? What's happening here? It's something that's going to produce results. It's something that's going to become obvious. So proving character, listen, it's been through the fire. It's been put under pressure. 1 Peter chapter 1, look here on the screen. He says, In this you greatly rejoice. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about literally it's in the context of persecution. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you might have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor which Christ is. When Christ is revealed. Now here's what that means. When is Christ revealed? Now some of you would say, Oh, he's going to be revealed when he comes back. comes back to get us. He's going to be revealed. Now how many of you know that to be true? He's going to be revealed. But did you know he can be revealed today in and through your life? Through this process that we're talking about. He can be revealed through your life through this process, to bring glory to Him. Now, character produces hope. So look on your outline. Hope. It's literally faith that is focused, sustained, and directed. Now, let me give you a a biblical definition of hope. A biblical definition of hope is not wishful thinking. How many of you know that's the way the world defines it? Well, hope is just you hoping this is going to happen wishful thinking no here it is biblical biblical hope it's confident expectation founded in Christ through faith what is it confident expectation founded in Christ through faith now think of this god always god excuse me god allows our suffering not to destroy our hope but to increase our hope our suffering forces us, listen, to look beyond ourselves. If you give out, give up, drag in, throw in the towel, you're not a person of maturing faith. And that's the whole goal of verses 3, 4, and 5. But if you keep hoping, again, not wishful thinking. It's the whole idea of confident expectation in Christ. But if you keep hoping, even when everything else looks impossible, you are then at the highest level of maturing faith. Your faith is going somewhere. So, where does hope come from? What is its focus? Where is it directed? Let me give you some verses. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul's introducing himself in this. This is the header of, of this letter. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, what? Our wishful thinking. And what does it say? Our hope. Our confident expectation. That's what it's talking about there. Here, here it is: First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace. Again, rest your wishful thinking fully upon the grace. Is that correct? No, your confident expectation in Christ, fully above the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How about this? 1 Peter chapter 1, a little bit later, he says this. Who through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are where? Are in God. You see, hope is only as good as what your hope's in. Did you know that? Boy, it's your hope this works out. What's that in? What, what kind of, what's your hope in there? No, no, your, your hope. Listen, hope that's biblically defined, hope that's found in Scripture is always, listen, guaranteed by Christ. That's the context it's in every time it's mentioned. So hear it again. Look at Romans chapter 5. Look at the second part of verse 3. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. You know what it means? It gets the desired results. Listen, those desired results, listen, initially are not what you think they are. But hopefully by the end of the process, it becomes what you think they need to be because they're founded and granted by Christ himself. Okay? Okay? So that's the goal, to get there to see it the way he is. So, look on your island. So, if our faith is not maturing, what are the hindrances of maturing faith? First of all, there's a whole idea of hopelessness. We do not have confidence in Christ. That's what that means. When When it's a hopeless situation, it's a hindrance. That means possibly there's no salvation in the first place. But then, from that hopelessness, listen, certain attitudes rise up in us. Look on the next, look at the second one there rebellion. Rebelling against the suffering can hinder God's work of maturing our faith. Because here's what we say when we go through this. Here's what we say. God's not fair. He's treating me wrong. I don't deserve this suffering. All that language is a language of rebellion. We've never thought of it that way. We think we're just queuing in on injustice being done. But it's really rebellion. Rebelling against the problem or God defeats the purpose Here's another one, the hindrance of maturing faith, complaining. Anybody ever complained in here? How many of you did some of that this morning already? How many of you are doing it right now because you're just wondering, when is he ever going to shut up? <laughs> it's complaining. It's sin, y'all. This is one of the major sins of the Israelites. How many of you know, how many of you read the story? Constant complaining. God put a test in front of them. They'd fail it, continued to complain. Guess what? One more lap around the desert. (laughs) Forty years later. Forty years later. Most of them never passed the test. Most of them never went anywhere. Guess where they died? Right there in the desert. Never to see the promised land. Complaining can be a problem. Listen, many Christians never live the abundant life because of constant complainers. Because they do not realize the higher calling that's placed on their lives. An attitude of complaining, listen, does not allow us to see God's potential in us and through the problem. Here's another hindrance. Worry. You know what worry really is? Fear and doubt. Put them together. Equals worry. Someone has said this. Worry is mental and physical suicide. Doctors tell us that worry wrecks our health. It, 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 some of you have heard this before. It's like rocking in a rocking chair. You waste a lot of energy, but you don't make any progress. The more you worry, the bigger suffering and problems become in your mind. A tiny problem gets bigger every time you worry about it until it gets, becomes enormous and finally out of control in your life. Here's another hindrance, distrust. The reason we distrust, listen, is we really don't believe God has our best interest at heart. Really, when you think about it, that's true. Therefore, we no longer live by hope, that confident expectation in Christ. And here's the, I'm sorry, here's the last one. The hindrances of maturing faith, self pity. Self pity. It's probably the most dangerous because the person who has a pity party, You're not going to like me when I say this. They actually enjoy it. They actually enjoy it. Sometimes we want people to feel sorry for us. David said in Psalm 69 20, here's what he says I looked for comforters and those who would help me, but none would give me sympathy. You know what David's saying? David is telling us that he had a pity party and no one showed up. That's what he's saying. So how do we get into this condition? How do we move from those things that hinder our faith to those things that mature our faith? I'm going to close with this. Romans 12, 2. Many of you know it by heart. Do not be conformed to this world. Anytime you conform to this world, it's a hindrance to faith. Okay? Just mark it down. It is. But be transformed. Uh, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then here it is. How do we transition from all those things that hinder our faith to those things that, that, that make our faith great? Here it is. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Listen, I tell people these verses all the time because they have radically changed my life. Some of you need to write this verse down on a card. Put it on the visor of your car, on the mirror when you wake up in the morning. This is what you need to be mindful of. Look, look at what the verse says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your request be known to God. Get your eyes off what you don't have. Get your eyes off those things you're ungrateful for. Get your eyes on those things you can be grateful for. He goes on. And the peace of God, when you do this, which surpasses all understanding, that means when no one else is going there by think in their thoughts, when you're going there, it's going to surpass all understanding, sometimes even logic. And it will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brother, whether things are true, noble, just, Pure, lovely, or of good report. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, what do you do? Meditate on these things. These will be things that will kickstart your maturing faith when you put these things in practice. So here's, here, here's the application. What is your standing before the Lord? Do you know Him this morning? Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? That standing is Perfect. Because He created that. You just reach out to it by faith. How do you reach out to it by faith? Well, faith tells us when you reach out by faith, you're going to repent. You're going to get away from those things you used to do. And you're going to see Him for who He truly is. And you're going to turn to Him. It's repentance. But then, what is your status before the Lord? Would you describe your faith as maturing or hindered? How are you responding to God's love? We'll look at that next week. But really, think about your faith. Evaluate it right now. Is it maturing or is it hindered right now? If it is hindered, why? What's holding it up? What's happening in your life? Because God wants your faith to mature. Would you bow your heads? I want to ask the ushers to come if they would. Father, we just come to you right now. and Lord, we just again thank you for your word. And Lord, I, so many times it's so difficult to see what's going on through all this. But Father, we know that your word is clear, especially in these passages, Lord. And I pray for that person that may be here this morning. and. Maybe they find their situation hopeless. Maybe they're just going through such a difficult time. And, Father, they've lost focus on what they need to be focused on. And, Lord, we know it's that hope that we have in you, that hope that has confident expectation that is guaranteed by the Lord. Father, we just just trust that, Father. Lord, I just pray that you'll help that person that's here today that doesn't really know where to turn in their situation. Lord, help them to turn to you. And Lord, we thank you for this offer and Pray that you'll use it as we continue to do what you've called us to do. To, to let a message like this be known to this world. That there is hope. Hope not found in this world, but found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.